We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Suns podcast. The Suns are now 2-2 tied after four games with the Dallas Mavericks. My name is Mike. I'm here with Sam. Sam, how you doing? It's quite a bit of energy from you there on the uh, on the intro. I must appreciate how you're you're keeping your peace a little bit. Um, for my part, I'm not having fun anymore, <laughs> and I don't think uh, I don't think anyone out there is really having fun anymore because now we have a best of three series going to games five through seven. Yeah, best of three. Suns have two home court. If it goes to seven, of course, they could still finish it off in six it, like they did with the Pelicans, but kind of another disaster showing after game three from the Suns. And look, there's some culprits, but at least we got to see a good Devin Booker game, which was necessary on the road. But there's a lot of things to point at. And I think the first thing is obvious. There was too many threes, too many wide open threes by the Mavericks, it looked like the Jazz playing defense out there for a significant portion of the game. They were just leaving them wide open, and I have some reasons why I think uh, that happened in this game in particular, but what stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, it. you're right. It's Other than the officiating, which we'll cover as well, I, I understand that the conspiracy theorists are all out in force after this one, and I, I'm going to be honest, I can't say I blame any of them, but just we'll start with the threes because it's the schematic stuff. The the Suns got killed in the first quarter. It really is the story of the game, man. The, you were down 12 at the end of the first quarter, and then that was the game right there. You shot yourself in the foot. You got into a hole. You couldn't dig yourself out of the hole. And the entire rest of the game, we saw them go on runs. They could get it up to where they were only down 6-8. to eight. Um, But for most of the game, you know, they, it was wavering between, like, down 8 points and down 15, 16 points, something like that. And, and they were just never able to get it any closer than that. And, yeah, I mean... Regarding Dallas's actual shooting, let's look at the box score real quick. I mean, Dorian Finney-Smith, I, I would I would almost say maybe you deserve that one a little bit. He went off for the game of his life here, going 8 for 12 tonight. People always um, point out that one tweet that was never about how he actually played. 
Because I've always liked tweet. I've always liked how he played. It was, it was a funny tweet because he pushed DeAndre Ayton. It was a funny tweet, but now he's punishing us, and uh, he made us feel, or he made you in particular, you felt his wrath tonight. Yeah, uh, going eight for twelve. I, I wonder if he saw the tweet. I imagine he didn't, but it would be <laughs> it's kind of possible funny he, he did. did. People do then tend to bring look, it up a lot. You know, Bertans, not a guy who's been generally a non-factor in this series, generally a non-factor in the playoffs. We know he can shoot. Goes off for four for six. I think all four of them in the, not necessarily the first quarter, but definitely the first half. And the unacceptable part about all of this was people were saying, you know, obviously the Mavs started off hot. I think they were shooting like 65, 70% at one point in the first half. Then they cooled off a little bit. They finished at 46, which is still insane. So yes, technically they regressed to some sort of mean um, over the course of the game where they weren't going to be able to shoot 70% from deep forever. But if you concede open three-pointers to a good three-point shooting team, they are going to shoot the ball well. They are going to shoot above 40% more often than not. And the Suns were not able to consistently make the rotations. Lazy, lazy rotations, particularly in that first half. Shot them in the foot. There were other adjustments that came in this game as we look at this game versus game three. Uh, but it just didn't fucking matter because because the energy level wasn't there in the first five minutes. And honestly, you could basically say game over right there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you compound the defensive issues with like getting literally zero from both point guards the Suns played tonight or today. I think that that just that's just a compounding effect that cannot you cannot overcome. It's no surprise. I think Devin Booker offensively and even defensively once they cleaned up in the second half I think he started helping a little bit less first half was a disaster but he did a good job on the ball once uh I think he did all he could offensively but outside of that Chris Paul some of the calls were dumb I'm not gonna say they 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 weren't dumb but the decisions he made once he was in foul trouble were also dumb he shouldn't have yeah. been reaching. He shouldn't have been trying to bait fouls, and the refs were clearly not on his side tonight. And that kind of stuff just doesn't need to happen. It's it's tough, I think, too, because with Chris Paul in particular, the Suns save some plays for the end of the game. They save some of their better offensive sets for the end of games in order to capitalize on the way that the Mavericks are playing defense. Chris Paul comes out of the game and isn't able to play the end of the games. All of a sudden, those sets are changed, and now you're just relying on Devin Booker to run everything on his own. And, and, you know, that essentially means that the plays you're saving are gone. <laughs> you know, that yeah, you look, just can't use them anymore. Especially when campaign is playing like uh, a, he's in total free fall collapse, complete shell of his former self. Haven't gotten anything really out of the guy all playoffs, to be honest, mm-hmm. with the exception of maybe one game. I think the one good game he had was also one where he was in foul trouble in that Pelican series. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, with Chris Paul, man, I hear you. I hear you. He made stupid decisions that he shouldn't have made. Be that as it may, I'm still in salt mode. We are recording 10 minutes after the game, you know, granted. And was that not the weakest sixth foul you've ever seen called on a superstar in a playoff game? Yeah, that was, was bad. The fifth the fifth foul was bad, too. And I'm surprised that they held it up because I just don't... I, they just don't call that. I mean, they don't call it on Luka. They don't call it on Trey. They don't call it on anyone. And they called it on... Chris Paul in that scenario if anything just don't call anything if you don't want to give that sort of foul baiting to Chris Paul look and I'm tired of the foul baiting from him or anyone I don't like when Jay Crowder does it it's really just Jay Crowder and Chris Paul on the Suns that do it but they got to play basketball and if the foul comes a foul comes and I think Chris Paul to some extent 
you know, played with fire and got burned on that play in particular where he was veering, as they called it, in front of Jalen Brunson. But look, there were some bad calls even outside of that. So, and, and it was just a really horrible performance by the referees in general, which has become somewhat of a theme in the playoffs. It seems like every single time there's a game happening, both sides are complaining about it. And I just don't remember it being like this last year. I feel like last year was nothing like this. It was, it was nowhere near as bad. Uh, so that was pretty bad too. Well, but, yeah, Fra- mm-hmm. just frankly speaking, the teams we played last year, you know, if you want to give the equivalent of like the Denver Nuggets in the second round or whatever, it got toxic in every series. We do remember that. You you forget a little bit once you're out of it, but in the heat of the moment, every series last year was toxic. Nikola Jokic, uh, Paul George, the superstars that the Suns were playing on their route to the finals last year, they're not they're not Luka Doncic. They're not like that. He's he's a he's a next level complainer and whiner and flopper and, and yeah. And flopper, I, he's just yeah. all of those things, and it's like I, you know, I'm here. I still recognize he's a sensational talent and all that, and and I also recognize that Chris Paul does a lot of the same thing. So I'm not necessarily saying one thing about it or the other. I'm not slandering his name, but it's it's just a fact. Like you look at the way that some superstars that the Suns played last year conducted themselves versus, you know, versus Luka Doncic. It's it's not close. There's yeah. these two rosters were built to be toxic and and for the salt to flow from both mm-hmm. sides no matter what the final result's going to be so that's just how it is the the flopping was egregious though and for it it's really re- bad for it to be rewarded over and over and over again it was, it's just insanely uh frustrating it becomes really difficult to watch ultimately and i can't imagine like if you were a neutral fan i can't imagine that game was fun to watch right there was nothing really overly exciting about it unless you just like i saw three point shots i i mean i saw some neutral fans who were cheering it on just because they want a longer series they just love chaos yeah um, but other than that the only people who i saw who enjoyed that game obviously mavs fans and then chris paul haters love yeah that they're, game, not but... yeah. <laughs> they're not neutral yeah <laughs> they're not they're not neutral yeah. but they did love it what do the Suns do about campaign? I, I, I don't really Man. know what to do at this point because it's it's a zero to a negative. And I think people are a little too hard on his on his defense, I'll be honest. I don't think his defense has been terrible. I, look, I understand that Luke is bullying him, but part of what the Suns are doing is not helping on that and leaving him on, on an island to fight as best as he can in that scenario in order to not let shooters get wide open. So it's a schematic Just a strategy, I think. Maybe as a strategy we should revisit as well when we talk about adjustments here. But yeah, um, let, let's start with Cam. I mean, there was that one play. I think literally the one bucket he must have scored because I'm looking at the box score and he only had one. Late in the fourth quarter, Chris Paul had just checked out um, and uh, Cam like caught it. Uh, I don't remember who was guarding him anymore, but he, uh, he, he caught it on the three-point line. Looked like maybe he was going to take the shot, hesitated, went for a strong drive. Um, and you saw the close-up shot of like Chris Paul clapping for him after the game. Suns generating a little bit of momentum. I think that bucket cut it down to like a seven-point lead or something. And then mm-hmm. after that, total collapse. No smart decisions the rest of the quarter. Uh, eventually, the Suns, uh, you know, obviously checked him out and just went with Devin Booker plus wings because that's what they were more comfortable with defensively as they should be and offensively. And that's really the problem with Cam at this point. I mean, he's struggling as a finisher. He's also now, after going 0 for 2 tonight, he's shooting 15% from deep in the playoffs. It's unacceptable. Yeah. <laughs> it goes it goes without saying that it's unacceptable. It's 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 garbage, plainly. That's he's been garbage. He has been garbage. 
And, uh, you know, it took me a while to get there, and I still don't know if it's necessarily a solution. But all of the people who have been arguing and arguing and arguing with us and saying, put Aaron Holiday in the game, Aaron Holiday deserves playing time. I don't know if Aaron Holiday is going to be great, Mike. I, I've watched a decent amount of Aaron Holiday yeah. at this point, and I've seen him play well, but I've also seen him be fairly unimpressive. I don't, I don't think he'll shoot 15% I, but, from three. But you know, exactly, and that's exactly what it is. I, even in Aaron Holiday's worst game with the Suns in the second half of the season, was he worse than giving you you know neutral defense and 15% from three and, and 40% inside the restricted area? No, he wasn't worse than that. If Aaron Holiday plays at his absolute worst, it's a... Uh, it's it's a zero sum transaction at this point to swap those two guys. There out. is so it can only go up from here. The short term, long term here, right? Because in the short term, Aaron Holiday might help with Cameron Payne, the Cameron Payne problem that the Suns are running into right now. Long term, if Cameron Payne can't figure out how to play better, the Suns can't win a championship. Agreed. Uh, and look, I know sometimes people come to this podcast for comfort but <laughs> we're always honest no, it's just <laughs> we're always honest this the Suns need the Suns need Cameron Payne to play at his best or at least near it in order to get past teams like the Warriors or if they make it to the finals whoever it would be and at this point we're seeing that they might even need it to get past the Mavericks now that, I'm not saying that I would favor the Mavericks for the rest of the series I think it's just I would say the Suns are slight favorites with home court advantage for the rest of the series it's each team has won every home court game so far but being a negative on the court against a team that should have a clear bench disadvantage in the Mavs uh, has flipped the game in, in a lot of ways. And look, Cameron Johnson has been up and down as well. I think he had a relatively good game today uh, offensively and then defensively he's doing his job too. Uh, but for it's it's particularly bad in a scenario where in the last game, Chris Paul had seven turnovers and was slightly in foul trouble in that game. And in this game, he completely fouled out. And the Suns have nobody to put in that could approximate anything that Chris Paul does offensively. And that's just a disaster. So like, yes, short term, maybe Aaron Holiday would help. Long term, maybe Monty's thinking about it as, look, if we can't figure this out with Cameron Payne, <laughs> I'm not sure the short term matters, you know, in that scenario as well. Well, so, so I think and, it's a tough position for Monty to be in. Well, and I understand no one necessarily wants to have these types of conversations in the heat of a playoff series when you're still, you know, you're you're leaving it all out there on the court. But the other guy who has to be feeling heat about this is James Jones, because look, if the Suns go on and they win a championship this year, which they absolutely are capable of doing, then retrospectively we'll look back on this run from James Jones and we'll give him an A plus because there's no bad moves when you win a championship. It just doesn't matter the stuff on the margins. However, it's increasingly looking possible that there were trades that this, we, we said all along, Mike, we covered extensively and it wasn't just us. It was basically everyone in the community saying you need to go out and get a third guard. You need another guy who can self-create. That's not just Chris Paul and Devin Booker in a playoff setting. We listed out Eric Gordon, but there were other guys as well. Um, and, you know, ultimately, James Jones was not willing to put that first round pick on the table, at least as far as we know, and wanted to stick with his guys, wanted to stick with Landry Shamit, who he extended for 40 plus million dollars over four years and had a grand total of two points tonight in nine minutes in the second round of a playoff game. Wanted to stick with campaign, who has been a disappointment and wanted to go out and get Aaron Holiday, who were debating if he even deserves playing time. Uh, at this point in the playoffs. So it was always the issue. If you go back and listen to our episodes from three months ago, we said, if the Suns are going to make a trade at the trade deadline, they need to bring in a guy who's going to be an impact player who can 
strongly fit into their top seven or top eight rotation. Not another fringe ninth, 10th, 11th guy who may play, may not play, you know, depends on the situation, but a guy who actually deserves to be there. And if it costs a first round pick, fuck the first round pick. We're trying to win a championship. Mm-hmm. As we start, as we actually have a series now, and we feel the consequences of this literally being felt, we're again in that situation where, yeah, it is. I mean, this whatever happens over the next week, and I agree with you. By the way, I still favor the Suns in the series. I still think they are the favorites, slight favorites, but but they are. But whatever happens over the next week reflects very strongly on James Jones uh, as as a general manager, and you know if he's capable of learning from this sort of thing in the future or not. We'll see. Yeah, even if the Suns go on to win this series or move on beyond that. It's clear that Aaron, I mean, Eric Gordon was a clear win for the Suns. That would have been extremely helpful <laughs> in this scenario where uh, Cameron Payne is a pumpkin and Chris Paul fouls out. I mean, it would have been, it would have been Devin Booker and Eric Gordon running the offense instead of you Devin might have, Booker, pumpkin and Shamit. You might have gotten by New Orleans in five instead of six as well. You know, you you would have like, you know, in a situation like that where you didn't have Booker for three games. It's like, you know, we've already seen multiple series in this year's playoff run where actually having another guard would have been very, very helpful. And look, what, you know, what good does it really do to have us sit here and bitch about it for the entire episode so we can move on now and talk about more adjustments (laughs) for the rest of the series? But I do think it deserves to be said that, you know, some people out there were saying all along, Hey, this this whole campaign and Landry Shamit thing, this might not be it. <laughs> we might want to reconsider what we're really doing here because at a certain point in the playoffs, this could be an obstacle uh, that you maybe can or can't overcome. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. How do you feel we had this conversation on our last podcast about DeAndre Ayton in this game? Well, I I saw you had strong feelings about it, which I understand. Uh, He's been... Has two games in a row? You would say two games in a row or three games in a row? Because we were were pretty down on game two performance as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he did the same thing, man. Last game we came on the pod and we talked about, yeah, he got his 16 points, he got his 11 rebounds. This game, he got his 14 points. He got his 11 rebounds. It's like lining up with his season averages, but the the energy was not there, um, was not effective in short roll situations, which he really needs to be. Like I understand it's still an area of development and growth for him um, that that we've like been slowly adding to his game, 
But now in a playoff setting where like Booker's getting blitzed and Chris Paul's in foul trouble, like we need you to be that guy. <laughs> so if you can't be that guy, it's concerning. Um, and then just in terms of like effort levels on offensive, defensive rebounding, he did rein in a lot of offensive rebounds tonight with six. I will give him some credit for that. Uh, credit for that. Um, but on the whole, it was not good. What did you think? I think um, the Mavs are specifically sending a bunch of guys to swipe at the ball as soon as he catches it when he gets rebounds. So even if he secures the defensive rebound, there's a chance that the Mavericks have their hands on it within a few seconds. And he's not holding it high enough. He's not holding it strong enough. And he's not getting rid of it fast enough on his rebounds. So that's something that I think he could fix. But the fact that it's been three games of that is concerning, uh, to say the least, I would say. Uh, And then the other part of it is the secondary efforts have just not been there. He's done a good job defending individual actions, and if he's directly involved with the -the on-the-ball action, I think he's done a great job. But if he's helping in the paint, he needs to get out and close out on shooters as well. And there are times where he's helping in the paint and then just turning around and facing the shooters and watching them shoot. And I understand that it takes a lot of effort to get out there in that secondary effort, but if there's nobody else rotating and he's the closest person to it, it's his job in that scenario. So he's got to do that. And then finally, secondary efforts. There are times where Devin Booker is involved in an action and then Maxi Kleba is there on the offensive rebound, which he's just conceding by not getting back into it. And at some point, he's also got to get back into that scenario as well, which means, yes, he contests the shot, but then he turns around and watches the fight for the rebound without Mm -hmm. becoming physical and getting back into that restricted area and ensuring that he's the one swiping at the ball the way the Mavs are doing it with him. And I think it's it's those things, right? It's not I'm not even necessarily talking about his scoring at this point, which still I think could be better. But I think the Mavs have actually done a good job making that difficult for him. I'm talking about the little things where he looks engaged, where he looks like his effort is running at a high level. And in this game, defensively in particular, and on the offense, I'm sorry, the defensive and offensive rebounds, because yes, you're right, a good showing on offensive rebounds. Five defensive rebounds, uh, <laughs> it's pretty bad, man. I, it's I just disappointing. Think, yes, yeah. it's pretty bad. you, you got to do yeah. better than that. I mean, at some point, we're... He's like we've called him the small ball killer, right? That's the whole idea around drafting him in the first place. It's probably the first thing we talked about on our very first episode of this podcast, the concept of using a big man to counter small ball, somebody who can't be played off the floor because of his ability to move his feet defensively and still guard the post. And right now, the small ball advantage, even if it's Kleba, who's not necessarily a small but is a shooter, that is fully benefiting the Mavs in the last two games. And even, I think, in game two as well. And yeah. I don't know. He's He's got to find a way to be more engaged and make his presence felt at all times. Yeah, engagement engagement really is the thing. It's, it's just disappointing with DA because this was supposed to be the series looking at the two rosters where it was so obvious how physically imposing and dominant he could be. He wasn't going to get, a, you know, like... He wasn't going to get these sort of golden opportunities against Valanciunas in the first round, for instance. But against Dwight Powell, Maxi Kleba, the idea, and and to an extent Dorian Finney-Smith, the idea was that it was th- this series was for DeAndre Ayton to take. This was his series, and if he struggles against Dwight Powell and Maxi Kleba, uh, especially from a focus standpoint, from an engagement standpoint, 
what do you think would happen in a series against Draymond Green and the Golden State Warriors? Like, you think Draymond's going to get in his head all series long? I think it's going to be constant there from game one. So it is a concern of mine going, like, even if you can survive the Dallas Mavericks here, yes, it is It is definitely a concern with DeAndre Ayton going forward for the rest of this playoff run. It is. And, it, look, he has an opportunity once again to come out and play really well. And it's just the physicality and it's just the engagement. And, and on... A continued engagement throughout the game that can help a lot. Um, let's see. Who else do we have to talk about? I mean, we, we have to say Devin talk- Booker had a good game, but like Bikel Bridges only having six points as well. Yep. And and some weird shots that he took in this game. The, like Devin Booker was getting to the rim and getting shots off at the rim pretty easily in this you're, game. You're and talking about else, the transition pull-ups, right? Transition the- pull-ups are even coming around uh, like around a screen and then shooting from mid-range. Uh, you know, yeah. there's been more than one bad, bad thing. Yeah, he had what he had one play at the very end of the game when I was already basically ready to turn it off because they were like down by 12 with three minutes left. But uh, he caught it wide open at the top of the key and neglected to take the three and then drove for a layup instead. He got all the way to the rim and, and you know, he was shifty about it. But like you could tell Booker was mad at him after that play because he was like, what, what are you doing? Like take open threes, you know, so I, I think his shot selection has been. Interesting, man. I, I pointed out those transition pull-ups. Um, the mid-range pull-ups really are killing me. I, you know, I don't want to go full analytical blog boy, whatever, but like there's only a few players in the NBA, unless you're like Devin Booker or you're Chris Paul, that's fine. He does, Even he doesn't really take them. Uh, if you're like Kevin Durant, you can take a transition pull-up 16-footer easy because I know you can make that shot. If you're Mikhail Bridges you should be trying to get all the way to the rim or you shouldn't really take that shot. <laughs> you know, like I think both of them, they, they were way short hit off the front of the rim and uh, were just completely wasted possessions on transition opportunities, which typically if you're focusing on the general transition principles of, Hey, let's get a three, let's get to the rim. You're scoring like 1.2 points per possession or whatever, something really, really good. And it's just a waste of that possession to take a 16 foot pull up to uh, again, unless you're like Kevin Durant or, or Devin Booker or something. So, yeah, he was weird. I mean, how many players can we compliment in this one? Really, not too many. Uh, Chris Paul, obviously, no. Uh, Cam Johnson was fine, I guess. It wasn't great. Jay, uh, I mean, Jay Crowder, who who was okay, I think, offensively. Jay Crowder, also- I give I give credit to Jay Crowder for coming back. Yeah, he after rolled initially his ankle, thinking, which could be a problem. Could be a problem in the next game if it's something that affected him beyond this. We'll game. We'll see. Yeah. Um, you want to talk about Javale again? Like it. Well, I'm I'm over him. I'm completely over it. Yeah. I, I think it's just you're playing right into their hands over and over and over again. I don't know if we have to have the conversation again, but it just boils down to the well, fact guess- that he can't really guard three-point shots. And they're conceding that the offense almost has to run through him in order for him to be beneficial, which benefits the Mavs in every single way. And the offensive rebounding advantage hasn't been there enough to justify it. But I, I, I understand if you don't want to have the whole conversation again, because it's obvious what they should do. It's either, I mean, I would just play Ish Wainwright. They played Bismack for a few minutes. He was fine. I thought he switched well onto Luka, contested his shots, forced Luka into step back threes. I didn't mind it. But mostly I just wanted Ish out there for the five-out offense um, and the switching everything defense as well. Um, but I guess the only conversation to have at this point is will Monty actually do something? You know, because like I think you said after last game, like uh, Monty doesn't really, you know, it's not, it's not really his style to feel that pressure yet. I think he needs to get into more of a desperation situation before he wants to make that change up. Well, game five now, must win game at home. A little bit more of a desperation situation, and I wonder if we finally get that change. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's something that he can do. 
And look, I think schematically, I mean, we have to talk about this. What do you do? What do you do on Luca? Do you just no longer help off of Luca? Is that just something that you no longer or help on to Luca? I should say, uh, no, and no longer help off of shooters. Cause here's the, here's the one issue with that is Deandre Ayton would be buried in the corner over and over again, which gives up no rim protection. I actually thought, so this is a really small sample size, right? Because it's a sample size of one. It's an anecdotal little thing that I'm pulling out. But I remember there was one play early on in the game where the Suns blitzed Luka with DeAndre Ayton. And it forced a miss. It forced a miss three off the front of the rim. I can't remember who shot it anymore. But just throwing another body at Luka. And I thought it was was so obvious. But it's like something that the Suns really haven't taken an approach much on uh, with him uh, this series and I was like, why? Okay, because here's the thing. I got I to gotta circle back and sort of retrace my thoughts a little bit here. I got to find the box score. The big problem you're facing right now, for a second straight game, Phoenix Suns, 17 turnovers. Dallas Mavericks, 11 turnovers. That possession data is playing into their hands because, again, whether they're shooting well or, or not, they don't have the rebounding advantage, but they are taking more shots because you're getting more turnovers or, or they're forcing more turnovers than you are. The way you counteract that is not just to play straight up on Luca over and over again, and yes, let him score forty-five, but then shut off the rest of the uh, the rest of the team. I think you got to show Luca more bodies, man. I think you got to go the opposite direction, like actually force him into the kind of five, six, seven turnover type game he had in Game One, where he's turning that corner and he's feeling the same sort of pressure that Devin Booker and Chris Paul are getting on the other end, and then you use those turnovers to fuel your transition offense, which we know is a very good transition offense, and punish the Mavericks that way. But I, I just don't I, I, I just don't agree with the general approach of, yeah, we're going to let him get his, but we're going to make sure we shut off the other guys, because right now, they're not shutting off the other guys. Maxi Kleba is having a fucking great series. Jaylen yeah, but Brunson they're helping on Luka. I mean, that's part yeah. of the reason those guys are successful right now, is because every time Luka steps into the paint, there's two guys, maybe three guys at times, that are helping on him, and even when he's at the perimeter... Mikael Bridges is not playing the closest shooter. He's playing the passing lane on Luka, which essentially leaves a shooter open. And if that shooter catches the ball, it's not just about them being open because if the rotation's there, now they can just rotate the ball more, and that's what gets open shooters again. So, I, look, it's a complicated they're playing, situation. They're playing Luka in in that sort of... It's not aggressive, but it's not conservative either because you're right. They're, they're zoning up on him, but I want them to be even more aggressive. I, I agree. I think they're the middle ground. Like I, I want them so to be I playing understand above that. the level of the screen most of the time from here on out to tire Luka Doncic out as much as possible early right. into the game and just just force the ball out of his hands. I think you're right. Here's here's what I'll say. There's no the middle ground that they're playing with was bad in this game, and I think it worked slightly well in the little fake comeback at the end of the last game, and that's why they tried it in this game. And the the Mavs were prepared because what Luca was doing is before he was attacking, he was calling for the switch to get the right guy. The switch, I should say, by if it was Kleba on the wing, he was calling for Brunson on the wing so that Brunson can attack with, with speed on any sort of closeout or just swing the ball faster instead of Kleba just launching that three. And so, yes, I, I think the middle ground of being unsure of whether to trap or to just play that sort of, I don't even know what to call it, like a soft double, a soft trap, um, is is bad, and I don't think it's going to work. I think you can easily scheme around it. But look, a trap just forces other guys to now start having to make decisions with the ball. Luke is the best decision maker on their team. It might lead to some open threes again, and that's the only fear sure. that I have. 
So I think, you know, my, there's two ways it can go. What you're talking about being more aggressive in the traps and, and forcing the ball out of Luca's hands or just making Luca shoot every shot essentially when he has the ball and not helping at all and just kind of leaving guys to sort of get bullied by Luca over and over and over again and trying to shut off the three point shots. And, and look, the Suns can't, I think they shot 19 less three point shots in this game, like significantly less. Yes. But, but again, so much of it, I mean, first of all, it's shot selection, but again, it's possession data. So it's not so much about Luke because Luca's shooting splits in this series haven't even been that great. So people are going to say, well, why don't you just go one-on-one, you know, switch everything onto him, go one-on-one the entire series, let him beat you, let him put his elbows into campaign or, or whoever the, the good matchup is for him. Um, I guess like Chris Paul in a, in a lot of lineups when it's the starting lineup, but they're not forcing any turnovers for Dallas two games in a row by playing that way, like zero. And that's a problem because this team needs that in order to win. They've needed that all season long in order to win. They force turnovers. They're a good transition team. Mikhail Bridges leaks out. He's like the 100th percentile transition finisher in the NBA. And those offensive opportunities just aren't there on the other end for you anymore if you're not making them see aggressive defense early on in the shot clock, like you know, like I want them to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I definitely understand that. And we'll see what Monty does because I think he has some choices. And I think there's a chance they do multiple things. And I think that's probably the right way to go, right? Try and shut off uh, try and shut off the three-point shots early in the game to make sure none of those guys get going. And as Luka gets going, throw traps at him every once in a while to throw him off his rhythm and force potential turnovers. Um, and that's probably going to be their best option as far as just not letting him fully understand what's coming at all times. And, and we'll see if they end up doing that. Does anything else stand out to you as something they could change? I mean, the main thing, I'll say it again. I said it after the last game. Yeah, but also just Chris Paul needs to just be better. I mean, you can't can't afford for him to be this bad against anyone. Against anyone. Any team will win the last two teams. The Washington Wizards could beat the Suns if Chris Paul is as bad as he's been for the last two games. So a lot of... He's he's the... You know, people call him the best player on the Suns. Look, I know that we or at least me, has made it clear, I'm not sure if you've taken a stance on this, that I don't believe that to be the case, but that sort of pressure needs to come with some something. <laughs> you know, like he has to come through in those scenarios for the Suns to have a chance. Otherwise, I mean, yeah, I know he's old. I know he's 37 now, <laughs> but this is how the Suns play and they rely on him a lot. So it, it means he t- that he was has game to three. Was game three, that was on his birthday, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did he turn 37 and like that was the official drop off date? Like, <laughs> it's over now. Like yeah. it's, o- it's over now. It's over now. This is who he is now for the rest of his career. He turned 37. He fell off. Um, I, I want to give credit almost or, or just a point related to that. One of the main takeaways we had after game three was that we wanted the Suns to pick up the pace. And, and I guess, again, honestly, I have been talking about it sort of in the way that I want them to defend. But just in general, like even with their half court offense, really want them to push after misses. And to that point, I thought they actually did a pretty damn good job in this game of giving a concerted effort to push off of any Dallas misses and sometimes even Dallas makes to get a more free-flowing, faster-looking offense. It worked to an extent offensively. You didn't notice it because the defense was so terrible in the first half that they continued to be down by 10 the entire time anyway. And then Chris Paul got in foul trouble and got kicked out of the game or or fouled out of the game. And campaign is just not the same level of player, not the same level of manipulation, doesn't see the game the same way. Uh, So that really all fell apart in the second half. But if you could get 
36 minutes of a normal Chris Paul game where he plays like you expect him to. Um, I think if you take what their process was in this game, uh, it was a much better process, even if you didn't get the results. And hopefully you can apply that to next game and, and you'll On have offense. better luck with it next time. On offense. I'm only yeah. talking about better pace, better flow of the offense, pushing after Dallas misses um, misses um, to really make them uh, wear down their legs a little bit over the course of the game. I thought it was a good approach by Phoenix. It just didn't didn't materialize uh, into anything in this game, obviously, because there was too there were too many other factors working against them. 94 points in game three. 101 points in game four. And I think both of those are directly tied to Chris Paul because Chris Paul generates so much offense on his own. So the turnovers in game three and the foul trouble in game four, uh, he's needed. And like the offense has a pretty easy fix. It's just that Chris Paul plays like himself. And if he doesn't, it's, you know, it's curtains at some point. Uh, so that could help. I think the defense, uh, on the other hand, does need some help and some schematic changes because they need to find a way to not just give up that many open threes and still find a way to have DeAndre and involved defensively, which is not, it's a tough ask. I understand it's a tough ask, but that's the idea of DeAndre. And that's why we say he's better than Rudy Gobert. So he's got to find a way to, to show that in this next game. You have any other thoughts before we wrap this one up? No, I think we've tortured the people for long enough. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's hope this team doesn't embarrass us in game five because they certainly yeah. did this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, we'll be back after game five. We appreciate you guys. If you want to sign up for our Patreon, patreon.com slash timeline. We have more stuff coming there at some point. We'll let you know about that. But other than that, we will be back soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.